I want to first just very, very quickly, and we're going to use the screen here for a few moments to help us with the text, a few opening texts. And today I definitely have more scripture in the sense of just plain reading that I would uh, uh, typically, but there's just some things that I just want you to see very uh, particularly. And this is the role of a pastor is kind of my introduction. That's just, you know, my responsibility. I love going back to certain passages of Scripture, reminding myself of the call of God, the purpose. I think it's very important. I'm going to just be honest. You know um, that we live in very dangerous, changing times in the United States, right? And, And if ever there was a moment for you to be more directly connected to a local body of believers... To have men of God and women of God that have a pastoral calling and gifting in their life to help shepherd you. I'm telling you now, you do not want to be a maverick sheep. I know you may have went to see the maverick, and, but the maverick sheep is the sheep that's on the fence. And he's in and out of the, of the fold. right? You don't want to be that. You want to be connected heart to heart, mind to mind, spirit to spirit to men and women of like precious faith. Right, And so here's in Acts chapter number 20, verses 28 through 31, just a couple of passages of Scripture just to see. This is Paul exhorting the elders here at Ephesus or the church at Ephesus, the, El- the Ephesian elders, as he's en route to Jerusalem. And it says here, Wherefore, take unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. So he's speaking to the men that carry this pastoral calling in their life to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Then here's a warning that's added to it. For I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Are you out there? Let's go. Is there a third, a 30th verse? I think so. And also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And the 31st verse is the last one. Therefore watch and remember by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. This was so impactful and so necessary that Paul says, when I talked to you about this previously, he said, I warned you every day. Every day I warned you of the need for men, women that have a gift in their life and a calling upon their lives to truly watch for the flock of God. Let's go a little bit farther. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 5 is a passage where Paul exhorts Timothy to watch thou in all things, do, uh, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and to make full proof of the ministry. And then three verses preceding this in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, this is the word that in the assemblies of God, that when you are ordained into ministry, then typically this is the exhortation that is spoken. This is the charge that is spoken over you. It is to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season, and this is not talking about summer and fall, right? But it's talking about the shifting of cultural issues. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with all long-suffering and doctrine. And the people said amen. And then lastly, here's a passage of Scripture that means a lot to me personally, and I've shared this with you previously. And it's in 2 Timothy once again, it's two chapters preceding this, where Paul here, and for just about three verses of Scripture, he sends this word to young Timothy, who is what's, what's noted by, by, by biblical theology as the bishop of Ephesus. And so what, what they're believing is, is that Paul has left Timothy 
to order the churches to be the man that is responsible for, because the church in this time probably is not in just one singular location, but there was house churches. There would have been many churches, and there could have been just a, there could have been some pastors, could have been some elders, and, Bish, and, and Timothy is responsible for giving apostolic uh, authority over these, and he's, he's exhorting Timothy to exhort these other ministers. And he says, and the servant of the Lord. So it's not just speaking of Timothy, but it's speaking of those that would follow him into pastoral ministry. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Now, as if your Bible doesn't, on the screen, it, 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 men is not in italics, and in italics as it is in the King James, which means that word men is not there, but simply be gentle unto all. Just be gentle. That's a, that, and sometimes that's difficult to do, but, but, but when we really yield to the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, right? To be gentle. And how many of you know you can talk about very difficult subjects and you can still have a gentle spirit, right? And so he said, be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them. So this is part of our calling because we recognize that men and women are caught in the vice of the enemy. So it says, if God will give them repentance. How many know repentance is a very important thing? In every part of any relationship with God, any communion with God can never be formed or forged without repentance. Right? You, there has to be a turning from in order to turn to. Right? So with repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And oh, how that is uh, in the shadows in our culture. But, but it's got to come to the light. And they that may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, for they have been taken captive by him at his will. This is a real, if you put this together, Paul uses the term of the grievous wolves. Here again we see a snare. So Paul is, is, is speaking about men and women being caught in, uh, in, in the bondages of sin. And he said our responsibility is to do the work of an evangelist, to preach the word, to, including to reprove and to rebuke, but also to instruct. And in doing so, it's to help men and women to be able to repent before God, acknowledge the truth, correct? And then they will find themselves being delivered from the snare of the fowler. Or from the hand of the enemy. And that's the call of the church. And that's the call of leaders, especially within the body of Christ. And so I, I take that very personally. I really do. In my heart of hearts, every sermon that I prepare, I say, God, I want to feed the flock of God. I want you to be strong in the Lord and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to be armed with the Word of God, with the Word of God and the knowledge of the Word of God. Because I think that's critical and be conformed to the image of Jesus and accomplishing his will. Do y'all believe that today? So let me go. Now, let me take a moment. I'm going to take a text. It's 14 verses. I probably won't read it all. As a matter of fact, I may even just lightly refer to it, but it's going to help set the context today. We're going to have water baptism here at the end of this service, and it's going to be a powerful moment. We have one adult, one teenager, and one uh, student, almost teenager. They're going to have in water baptism. And there's a passage of Scripture here in the book of Romans where Paul, both in the 7th chapter but primarily in the 6th chapter, where Paul is, re is, is referring to water baptism and he's making a comparison of what it means for us to walk in newness of life as a believer. It's Romans chapter number 6 and it's the entirety of the chapter, but that's too long for me to re read today. But the, probably the verses 1 through 14 is what I've given Angie to put on the screen for us. But I want you to see it for a moment. There's so much truth and so much power and so much life in it. So we're going to go ahead and read it, for at least down for a little bit. What shall we say? 
He said then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I can't go back and recreate the context that Paul is making this statement. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By the words, God forbid, it's almost that that's ludicrous. It's almost that that's ludicrous. How shall we that are dead to sin, notice those words, live any longer? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up by the dead, or raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And whether he's referring to a spiritual baptism, simply put, meaning being baptized into Christ, or the actual physical act of being water baptized that is representing what's taking place in the Spirit, I'm not going to clearly uh, you know, try, try to address that today. However, just the context simply speaks of that water baptism, when we take that student or that, that adult under the water in a moment of time, they are identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that right? And so in doing so, he said here that when they come up out of that water, in essence, they're to walk in newness of life. That means old things pass away and all things become new. Are y'all here today? Right? That God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, works a miraculous work in the heart and the life of the individual. And even though you still have the old Adamic nature contained in the flesh, you now have something that previous dispensations or generations did not possess, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the same power. You've got to keep Romans 6 through 8, the entirety of those chapters together. It's a great context. I can't elaborate on it today. But the same Spirit that ushered into the the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and found the lifeless body of Jesus... And, and filled that lifeless body and brought it back to life. And he would walk out of that grave different than the way they laid him in. Right? In like manner, when a believer professes faith in Christ, God changes us from the inside out. And we walk differently. We learn to think differently. We learn to talk differently, correct? And to act differently. The context here, deeper in this passage is is that the, the context is the sinful habits, the addictions, and lust that we previously walked in, now through Christ we overcome. I believe that you can overcome every sinful desire. I believe that there is no sin that you as a believer by the power of the Holy Spirit cannot overcome through Christ Jesus. The power that works inside of us. Verse number 14, he kind of summarizes He says this, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, we could go further. You're not under the law, under grace. The context there is, know this, get this in your spirit, sin shall not have dominion over you. If every believer, every day, either just in their own kind of intuition or if they meditated on it, got up in the morning and just lived life, with the, with the knowledge that sin is not going to have dominion over me, right? That I can and I will live a life that's pleasing to God, right? And in my responsibility as a pastor is to teach you this, to teach you to reckon. I love that word in the King James. You find it earlier in the text. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin but alive unto God. 
right? Living your life pleasing to God. And sometimes as I teach this and as pastors teach this, it's important that we do what Paul said. We teach, we preach the word, we're instant in season, out of season. And in doing so, we reprove and correct if that's necessary. Sometimes that's private, right? In private conversation, private counseling, or it could also be from the pulpit. Now, if you do it from the pulpit, you still have to have the right spirit, Right, I don't want to be, and I know that there's a lot said about, you know, years, uh, a few years back, a couple years back, about mean tweets and stuff like that. Well, I don't want to be a mean pulpit preacher either in that sense. I want to have a gentle spirit, but I don't want to ever fail to challenge you with the authority of the Word of God and to speak it and sow it directly into your life. I want to give you an example of something about as we, we're going to kind of get, we're, we're going somewhere in a few months, so I'm taking you on a roundabout way before we even get into the subject matter here. I, because the context here is overcoming sin and the power of sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna speak just quickly. Now, this is not the subject. It's going to lead into the subject, but I'm using it as a far extreme example. Really quickly, I want to I consider something spousal abuse, both physical, verbal, and emotional. Physical Verbal and emotional spousal abuse. Let me, let, let, me, let me say this to you today. The Bible does not plainly say spousal abuse is sin. Did you know that? You cannot turn to a passage in Scripture that says, Ye men of the fellowship, do not strike thy wife. <laughs> First of all, if you're married to a hill country girl, there's some women that my money would be on. If it went to blows. But we don't want to go down there. How many of you know that we can infer by the nature that physical, verbal, and emotional, just by the nature of the subject, that that, that would be sin? That men to manipulate women, either physically, verbally, emotional, or sexually, right? That we would say it's sin. Even though the Bible does it plainly in the New Testament language, Jesus never taught a sermon on the mound about spousal abuse. But we can, by his overall teachings and the teachings of the epistles, where Paul said, love your wife as Christ loved the church, I can kind of arrive at a place where I can say, you know what, that's really, I I don't need to be, and and Sherry's a tough uh, Wilburn girl in the first place, and I I wouldn't even want to go down that road. Even if it's in my heart. Now, I'm just saying that just for a moment, real quickly. If, you were, if you're here today as a professing Christian, and I, I could say this from the pulpit. Now, again, this would be a very delicate subject, and most likely this should be done in private. But as a professing Christian, if I were to speak this to you, I mean, if you're a professing Christian, and I'm speaking from the pulpit, if I, if I were to say, if you're abusing your wife, if you're abusing your wife physically, verbally, emotionally, or sexually, I reprove you in the name of Jesus, and I exhort you to repent. How many believe that's sound doctrine? And that I would then, therefore, say, you need to ask God, your spouse, and your family for forgiveness, right? And you need to turn to the Holy Spirit for His empowerment to not ever harm her again. Speaking to the men. That you need to learn very, very quickly, no other margin of error, to die to sin and to live unto God. If you're in agreement with that doctrine, would you say amen, right? Now, so would you say what I just did was reproof, right? That that was reproof coming from the pastor who loves his church, and is that biblical? Is what I share with you biblical? 
Even though I can't point to an exact scripture, and we've got a couple of theologians in the church today, and so with that, I can't point to an exact scripture, once again, that says, thou shalt not smite thy wife. And so uh, it's just understood that if you're walking in the Spirit, you don't strike anybody, right? Unless you're protecting your wife. Are you hearing me today? So with this, in similar fashion then today, similar fashion, I have been speaking about controversial subjects. I started with women in ministry. Now, that shouldn't be connected exactly to these controversial subjects that I'm talking about, and it's not, but it's still a controversial subject, right? And I addressed it from this pulpit, and I think I did it in the right spirit. Go back and listen to them if you choose to. I spoke a few weeks ago about the difficult uh, subject of abortion because these are very culturally relevant subjects. And, and we're going to see, I'm telling you, I've been telling you as a pastor for 25 years at, that, that there, there are two issues that's, that's going to lead to the, to, the, to the fracturing of the nation, at least relationally. And we're already there, one of which is abortion. And we're still waiting for the, the SCOTUS um, ruling. And it should happen before July. And this is the second, right, the second Sunday in June. So there's not many left. And so, did anybody hear what happened at Lakewood Church this past week in Houston, Texas? And so, right, right when old Joel was finishing his, um, and I would say Joel probably doesn't preach about abortion from the pulpit, because he usually doesn't speak on um, subjects of that nature. And so, just as he was finishing, this is my Bible, I can say, you know, it says what I am, I can be what, I, what it says I am, and on and on, that he gleaned from his father. Just as they said amen and he was seated, or he had the people be seated, then three women kind of simultaneously that were planted there by an abortion activist group stood up, ripped their clothes off, and screamed out obscenities, my body, my choice. And so, and, that, and, that, and then it happened, and it, 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 more is coming, right? Just, just, I've been trying to tell you, the tumultuous times are upon us. I shared with you three weeks ago, you can't hide your eyes from this any longer. It's a real deal. And so that's why it's really not the time for just feel-good jumping sermons. And that's why even a service today when there just seemed to be a little bit of a lull, you know what? There's a time to grieve. And there's a time to mourn. There's a time to be very serious. There's a time for joy and shouting, perhaps at a different moment. But right now, I'm telling you, I'm in that moment. Like, I mean, things are happening, and I want to be ready. But I don't want to just be ready. I want you to be ready. And so with this, so, I, and then I, last week I spoke on what was called Jeroboam's gospel. It's called a perverted gospel. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. I was a little bit grieved as I ministered because, once again, it was quiet in here. But I went back and listened to it. And when I listened to it, I was, you know, I felt like it was right on. It was the right word, and it was preached in the right spirit. But any time that you speak on controversial subjects, it's the most difficult, the most difficult thing that I do as a pastor. It's the thing that I guarantee you that when pastors preach on these subjects that I've been talking about, that's the time when the juniper tree looks closer than it ever has been. And that's when you sit under it and you start questioning yourself. More than, and, and if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit to come and lift you up and say, no, I've asked you to speak on tough things. Are y'all out there today? So today then, I'm going to speak on, this is my, top, my, my title today, to speak on and that is me and Angie are sinking together. And there we are, homosexuality and beyond. Homosexuality and beyond. 
And so with that, I think it's important that we once again talk about a very difficult subject. Because this too is a very hotly contested so that affects every person under the sound of my voice. Are y'all here today? So now with this, let me go and take you into a couple of things if I can. So the notes, let me just share with you. Why did I say and beyond? I'm not talking about Buzz Lightyear here. I'm talking about the notes that I'm using today. We're, in, we're, we're on my computer at home from seven years ago. 2015, and I found them there last night. I knew what I was preaching about. I knew the thoughts that I'd had on my heart all week, but I just kind of randomly said, let me just look. And when I went back and discovered these notes that were there from, I think, April of 2015, oh, how it has gone beyond from that in seven short years. Now, why did I minister on this subject? Now, let me tell you why this is very difficult. It's very difficult because, let me say this, is that anytime you, you, you address this issue, there, it's a very difficult because such personal connections, personal connections, a friend, a loved one, your child, a grandchild, perhaps is a professing homosexual or homosexual uh, same-sex attraction, and, and you're questioning how you should respond to them, and you're struggling just a little bit, and then obviously the things can be so misconstrued where if anybody speaks uh, concerning this subject, it's almost being uh, identified in our culture as hate speech. And, and I'll pick that up here in just a moment. And, and so many in the, in the church have such strong personal feelings because they have that friend or that coworker or that relative or even somebody under the sound of my voice. Somebody under the sound of my voice could be here today, and if, we were, if, they, if they talk to somebody privately, they could say, you know, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. And then so for me to be up here, I'm dealing with a very, very divisive and difficult subject, but I'm exhorted by the Word of God to be gentle to all men. And I, and I intend to do, and I will be, but at the same time, my intent is, is that men and women would acknowledge the truth. Right? Because only the truth will lead someone to repentance. So, so as I began to go into this just a little bit, uh, I, I, if there is any reproof that I could give to anybody in the body of Christ, it is this. If you have a predetermined mindset that the only response to this difficult subject is love and acceptance and affirmation, if that's the, and, and, and only in the way that the world presents that to us, and you connect Christ-like to your response and reject any other type of response, I do want to reprove that thought today because I believe that's the wrong response. Because just because someone wants to discuss this in any other context other than love and acceptance does not mean that it's filled with hate and homophobia. We have to examine the subject biblically, not just emotionally or politically. We have to listen to the Scriptures, and we have to interpret and respond accordingly. The issues divided the body of Christ. It's dividing. You say, Pastor, is it really? Yeah, I mean, actually, as I speak, the Methodist Church is one of the oldest denominations in the United States. It's, it's not fragmenting. It's already fragmented. And it's actually at the point where it's going to dissolve. 
And, and m- most of the conservatives are moving out, conservatives theologically are moving out because they're just tired of the, of the, of the constant struggle with the, with the subject matter. And so when I say this, I, I'm, I'm telling you, it is dividing the nation, and we even have some schisms in the local body. So to remain silent, in my personal opinion, would be irresponsible on my part. Are y'all here today? So with this, when I say, why did I say homosexuality and beyond? Because, again, I was shocked at how things have morphed from the time that I wrote these notes in 2015 to where we're at today. And I'm going to ask this question to you. Is it possible that I could be angry and sin not? Can you be angry and sin not? Well, then let me ask you, can you? The Bible says that we can, I believe, right? Be, be angry. It doesn't say it as it, it says, be angry and sin not. Well, there are some things that angers us. Should you and I be angered over the LGBTQ's agenda to indoctrinate children? Oh, how things have morphed from when this sermon was preached first in 2015. In 2015, this was first, the notes that I preached that I have here today, just real quickly, these notes. I preached this message, Dr. Brassfield, right before, once again, the SCOTUS ruling concerning the, the Defense of Marriage Act. And that we were waiting the way we are with the abortion ruling today. And Jace, at that particular time, we were waiting because the word had already leaked the way it is now that they were going to overturn the Defense of Marriage Act and they were going to take away from the state's ability to limit marriage to a man and a woman. And we knew that there would be a ripple effect. And so pastors like myself were seeking to teach and encourage the church to, to be involved and to, to, uh, to pray and all those things from there. But oh, how things have morphed. Because during that time, way back when, seven long, 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 long years ago, the issue at hand was the subject of homosexual marriage. And so there wasn't really much even talked about transgenderism. It was about oh, two a man and a woman, or a man and a man, and a woman and a woman could have a loving relationship and enter into a covenant of marriage. There wasn't really much talked about gender identity or transgenderism, but that's where we're at today. And the reality is, is that I'm really, really limited in my ability to communicate this side of it, the political side or the biological side. Uh, I'm very, very limited, and I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not. I'm going to. I know what lane that I need to be in. And, and I'm going to stay in this. But uh, should it anger you as a, as, a, as a parent when President Biden says this? He said, I'm going to protect gay, transgender children. Those are his words, not mine. You can find them when he speaks it out. He said, I'm going to protect gay and transgender children. See, what I, when I see that, I see him sowing a seed in the minds of both parents and children. That children are born this way. But the biological, the biological argument, obviously we've got competing thoughts. Here's where I'm going to route you to. I'm going to route you to a website. If you want the biological and you want the argument and the cultural, and you will be shocked. You will be angry. Thank God you don't live in a major metropolitan area in a blue state. You would be shocked at what is taught in the public schools of America under sex education. You won't, just be, you won't just blush. You will be shocked and you will be angered that someone is teaching a five-year-old the subject matter. The website I'm going to point you to is Family Research Council. 
Family Research Council, that whether you agree with this or not, every month your missions dollars go, part of it goes to support the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. So that somebody is standing up in the political arena with a biblical agenda. And on the Family Research Council website, you'll find marriage and family. And under marriage and family, you will also then find sexuality. So I want to encourage you there to search for it because I think it will, it will say far beyond what my ability, uh, ha- the, the ability that I have to address this. So again, I want to say this. My lane is not the biological argument. It's not the political argument. It's not the governmental argument or perspective in any capacity. There are many other gifted people to write and teach on this subject. But for me, my lane and my responsibility is the scriptures. My responsibility is to say, but what does the word of God say? Because we have to be very, very careful because the Word of God can be twisted, manipulated to accomplish a political and a biblical agenda. Not a biblical like from our perspective, but from a perverted biblical sense. Because I talked to you last week about Jeroboam's gospel. And Jeroboam's got a church, and Jeroboam's got a pulpit, and Jeroboam's got a Bible. Are y'all here? And Jeroboam preaches his gospel. And so you and I have to be able to discover the, the, and be able to discern the, the, the error from the truth. And so I'm going to ask this question. Does the Scripture affirm or reprove the homosexual lifestyle? Now remember, as I preach this message, I preach and I teach this in the most challenging moment of my life. The most challenging because I'm to be gentle to all men. And you may have a, a loved one that you really, really care about that is struggling in this area. And, 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 and so I don't want you to think that I came along to bully anybody into righteousness. I don't believe you can be bullied into righteousness. You have to be led by the Spirit of God into repentance and acknowledging of the truth. And then you recover yourself from the snare of the fowler. And what we need, we don't need churches that, that, that use a bully pulpit. We need churches that preach and teach the truth in love. Now, from that time, 2015, to the beyond, that it is a part of the LGBTQ agenda is to make a message like I'm teaching or preaching here today, hate speech. And it is part of the agenda to make it illegal in the United States for a pastor to stand on the pulpit like I am today and minister a word in love to teach on this subject. Did y'all know that's a part of the agenda? It's very much a part of the agenda. But my responsibility is to preach the truth. In season, are y'all here, and out of season. So does the scripture, very quickly today, affirm or reprove the homosexual lifestyle? With that, I I know what's in your thought process, but I'm going to go ahead. I've got to give you a broad stroke for just a moment. I want you to see this very quickly in the Word of God. Well, first... if consider this subject biblically, we have to go to its first appearance, since we have to go, or maybe not its first appearance, it could be the first, but it's, there's another passage here, but it's, if we're going to first, remember, Paul said this, Paul said, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, correct? All scripture. So we've got we've to look at what does the word of God say from the Genesis through the Revelation? I say, is there a consistent way? Is there a consistent means in which this subject matter is being talked about? So I'm going to begin just real quickly in Genesis 18 and 20. It's with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And I know that's a very, very difficult passage because we know what happened to those two cities of the plain. What happened to them? 
The Bible says that fire and brimstone from heaven fell upon them and consumed those cities. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because, notice these last few words, their sin is very grievous. Genesis 19, verses 3 and 4. It says, and he pressed upon them greatly, or they pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, excuse me, and he made them a feast, and he did bake unleavened bread for them, and they did eat. And verse number four, and before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And I didn't put the fifth verse, I should have. In the fifth verse, it was, is their intent was that the men that were inside the, the, inside the house they could bring them out that they might know them sexually. Read it. It's, it's in the Scriptures. And so the term sodomy or sodomite, which has historically been used to describe male homosexuality, was derived from that example. Okay? From this biblical example, from that time till this time, the term sodomy, has, that's where it originated from, and it's connected to male homosexuality. Now, there's another passage. I didn't give this one to Angie to put on the screen. You can read this on your own. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 16, verses 49 and 50, where the prophet Ezekiel said it wasn't just, it wasn't just this abomination, but it was also that they were taking advantage of the poor. So there was a social context to it as well. But, but the writer there, Ezekiel, said that and by, as a result of it, they committed a great abomination against me. And some have tried to manipulate that and said, well, that's not. So, so they've taken what Ezekiel said and they said, well, it wasn't that God was judging the sin of homosexuality. He was, he was judging social injustice in Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. But Jude, verse number 7, did I give you that one, Angie? Jude verse number 7 says this. So who is Jude just real quickly? Does anybody know who Jude is? Jude was typically historically known as Jesus' half-brother. So he was same mother, Mary, different father. One had Joseph, the other one had Yahweh, right? Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, Jude says, and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here in the original passage where the Word of God, because I've told you before, you can't just have a worldview. You've got to have a word view. And you've got to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. And as a pastor, I want you to be able to have a conversation with somebody and have enough knowledge of this subject that you don't just have to scream, it's sin, but you can say, let me tell you what the Word of God says, right? In a spirit of love. And then you can't change anybody's behavior, right? All you can do is point them to the Word and then let the Word of God get inside them. Right, so let's go a little bit farther. So then what does the law of Moses? Well, most people know what the law of Moses is, but I'm going to go ahead and put it on the screen for you because I believe in the law for just a moment. I believe it had a very definitive purpose that I'm going to address here in just a moment. But in Leviticus 18 and 22, it says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, for it is an abomination. It's plain and simple under the Mosaic law. I'll, I'll read one. I don't think I gave her this text. In verses tw or chapter 20, verse 13, it says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So it was a very harsh penalty under the Mosaic law. If the Mosaic law strictly forbade the practice of homosexuality for Israel, instructing the death penalty. We recognize. Listen, let me go on record. We recognize we are not under the law. 
And we are not in any way even contemplating such punishment. Right? That we're not preaching Sharia law in here today. Right? And so we, however, in doing so, we're not in any wise making that suggestion. But what we are recognizing today is the principle. The principle, the teaching element. The text concluded with the warning that the land spew you not out. There's a warning from God to the people of ancient Israel. So then we're going to bring it, though, real quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in a moment on this, but I've just got to give you this text of Scripture. It's that let's bring it to the critical argument that is made by the perverted Jeroboam church. And that is, but Jesus never mentioned it in the Gospels. I've even heard it being posted on Facebook recently because there is an upcoming gay pride parade being held in Heber Springs. And so with that, which as it was last year, it's going to be repeated again this year. And so there's been people that have been arguing on Facebook, and I'm not into arguing on Facebook. And I'm not into going down and, 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 and Spring Park with a sign either and walking around. What I'm into is teaching you the truth, right, so that you're armed with the knowledge of the Word of God so that you have an answer for every man that asks you of the hope that lies within you, right? That's what I'm into. And I believe that if we will walk in love and speak the truth in love unashamedly, we have to leave the results to the Father. And so with the gospel, some argue that since Jesus did not teach against homosexuality, therefore he affirmed it. Did you know that is an argument, Jace, isn't that right, that is made in Jeroboam's false gospel church? That because Jesus did not address it directly, that he was affirming it. But let me say this, can we conclude that Jesus did not teach against spousal abuse. But by the absence of his teaching on it, can we say that Jesus affirms spousal abuse? I wouldn't think so, would you? If you do, you need to repent. Here's, here's why Jesus didn't mention it, in my personal opinion. This is Lee Brown's personal opinion. Number one, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, his countrymen were under the law and its penalty, and therefore homosexuality was not practiced openly in Israel. Just to be honest, especially during, now, by the, by the Greeks, yes, but not by the Jews. And so with this, but then, in, let's, but we got to have a broader, don't we have to have a broader study of this? You say, but for a moment here, we're going to see that Jesus believed, Jesus believed in the law. He was a prophet under the law. I keep telling you the law is good if, the law, if a person uses it lawfully for its original intent. I'll share with you in a moment what that is. But Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to catch this. Now, y'all stay with me for a few minutes. I know. You say, Pastor, this is a difficult subject matter to hear. You ought to be on this side of the desk. You ought to be up here in a culture where I'm labeled as one with hate speech because I'm teaching the church to help lead men and women to repentance Right to acknowledge the truth so that they can be recovered from the destructive lifestyle of especially male homosexuality. It doesn't take long at all for you to look at the effects of male sexuality, homosexuality to know that God did not design the human body for that purpose. And it always ends the wages of sin is death. And so let me just say, I know it's hard for you to hear this. It's even harder for me to share it, but it's important that we do because I can guarantee you, you will be faced with perhaps even a dividing line between affiliations either politically, religiously, 
parents. It may even go to the workforce. Are y'all here today? I mean, we don't know as these things morph that creates the division in, 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 the, in this United States. So Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, he addressed this right here. He addressed the law. Let's put it up there if we can, Angie. He said this, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Right? For verily I send you till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men do so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So obviously Jesus believed in the purpose of the law. Now he knew of original an intent in the heart and mind of God that Paul shares later. But in this context for just a moment, now you say, so did Jesus intend for somebody that was caught in the, in, the, in the act of homosexuality to be condemned to stoning the way that the Mosaic law demanded? Well, we have a comparison. We have a comparison when a woman was caught in adultery. You say adultery and homosexuality, those are two different, they are absolutely two different things, but they both come to us in the Mosaic law in the same passage. And they, come, they both have the same consequences. If one was caught in a homosexual lifestyle, they were stoned. If someone was caught in adultery, guess what? They were stoned. And I don't even go to this passage, but you know the passage I'm about to take you to. It's in John chapter number 8 when a woman was caught where? In adultery. And they brought her to the feet of Jesus, right? And all the religious leaders had a stone in their hand because they were going to fulfill. They weren't going to stone her. They were not going to stone her. They were simply trying to catch Jesus in his words. But they had the appearance that they were going to stone her, and they had stones in their hand. And so they said the Mosaic law demanded that she should be killed. And remember what Jesus said? Stooping down, riding on the dirt, raising himself back up. He said, he that is without sin among you, let him do what? Cast the first stone. And so if we ended right there, then we could say, man, maybe Jesus then was affirming the woman's right to, to be, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to be uh, an adulterer. But remember what happened when the men began to drop their stones at their feet and began to walk away. The Bible says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and he found only the woman there. Remember what he said, woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? Right? Remember what she said, no, no man's condemned me. And if that ended right there, then maybe the perverted gospel of Jeroboam might have some measure of legitimacy. But Jesus didn't say, continue in your lifestyle choices. Just make sure that your husband is in agreement. And y'all have a, do they call it swingers? Is that what it's called? You know, I'm a hillbilly and I don't know. I'm not on those websites. I'm not going to say too much, never. I, I will say never. Are y'all out there? And so, or, or spousal swap, right? He didn't say, just make sure that your husband is in agreement that what you're doing so that he can kind of go do some at the same time and y'all can kind of just, you know, just make sure that you're protecting yourself and that type of sexual activity. Make sure there's no sexually transmitted diseases. Guard yourself very carefully. He did not say anything like that. He said, go and sin. What was the sin? What gave uh, credibility to the word sin? The law. Go and sin no more. And I believe if he was here in the flesh today, that's how he would address this very difficult subject matter. He would walk in love, absolutely, but he would speak the truth and point people to repentance. Lastly today is the epistles. I don't know what time it is. I know. I'm, Lee, just stay focused. 
the epistles. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Let's put it on the screen, Angie, if you will. Know you not that the, the epistles, what do you mean the epistles? Paul's pen. Now, the apostles, the ones that walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, heard revelation from his mouth. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the words very carefully. King James English, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, catch those words, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And then it lists thieves and covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. I omitted on the screen, I have it on the page, but Paul told the Corinthians, he reminded them, and such were some of you. That's why we, we, know, we know what the vice of sin is like, don't we? Because we were. But I say, such were some of you. But we're washed, we're justified, and we're sanctified by the atoning power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And as grievous as any sin can be, whether it be homosexual sin, or whether it be adultery, or whether it be thieving, or whether it be uh, all the passages that he mentioned there, I just thank God today that we can be made free by the power of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. If we will look to him and his death on the tree, then you can be delivered in Jesus' name. And I believe that for any sinful lifestyle. I believe that. Two words there I want to draw your attention to. One was fornicators. It's translated whoremonger in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11. And, and it's simply a whoremonger. And then the other one is effeminate. And the word effeminate there is catamite. And it means soft, fine clothing. It's defined as having characteristics more often associated with women than men. And then he said the words abusers of themselves with mankind. In the Greek, it is sodomite. There's the sodomy again, defiling oneself with mankind. So the person that says it's not addressed in this New Testament is not telling you the truth because the writer here, Paul, does address it, and he yokes it together with a very uh, unscrupulous package, passage here of, 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 of carnal appetites. And Paul uh, confines it there and says, but you can be delivered by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul exhorts Timothy to preach to his culture as he wrote about it later. And I'm going to omit that for the sake of time. We're going to move past it. So here's one other passage. Now I'm going to show you the dangers. I'll get ready to close today. So, Pastor, what's your intent here today? I have to have an intent. I have to have intent. My intent is, as a pastor, is to prepare you for the tumultuous times not only are you living in but that you're going to face. And there's going to be decisions that's going to force us to make strong decisions. We do not know the end of this. We can't, I can't climb up on the mountain and say, I can tell you how this is going to end. I don't necessarily know that it's going to end. And I've really struggled. I'll tell you what, since the election, I've, I've been as honest as I can with people. So I, I really felt like with the election that took place in 2020, that it was more than just the typical flip-flop from Republican to Democrat, Democrat to Republican. That the American culture has gone through for many years. I felt like there was something far deeper far, much farther reaching than what we could ever imagine. And now we're seeing it come to fruition when people are simply trying to target your five-year-old kindergarten student and teach them, right, about making the choice to choose their own identity rather than God choosing their identity. It's a very, very dangerous time. And so as a pastor, here's a passage of Scripture, though, in the epistles that is often referenced by believers like myself addressing homosexuality. And it's a heavy passage, but we're going to read it, and I'm going to close here in just a minute with showing you about what Jeroboam's 
gospel and Jeroboam's church does with this subject matter because you need to know this because you're going to eventually talk to somebody and they're going to be able to remember what Satan did with Jesus when he took him up on the mount of temptation what did he do what did he quote he, what did he quote didn't he didn't he take the scriptures and, and, and speaking so so let me take you into this just real quick it's in Romans chapter number one all the theologians or the Bible students among us they know this passage but let's read it here it's, it's about 10 verses 11 verses that we're going to read down today it says for the wrath of God is revealed against heaven against all unrighteousness or excuse me against ungodliness and righteousness of men let me jump over here to my Bible that's in front of me I'll read it a little bit close, better here in front of me and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness catch that who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Pause. Simply put, Paul is saying creation declares the handiwork of God. Right? So for every atheist that says that there is no God, right? Let me tell you, creation itself decries him as a fool. Right? For only the fool says in his heart there is no God. Creation is declaring to you every day you see the sun set or rise and set. Every day that you see rain fall on the earth. Every day you see, you know, uh, dead trees come alive again in the spring. Birds in the air, right? Fish in the sea. Every day that you see creation. Every day that you look yourself in the mirror and you touch yourself, flesh and blood. And you know that, that someone greater than yourself had to create you. If there is a creation, there has to be a creator. Right, so Paul is affirming this, that we will be without excuse when we stand before him, correct? Verse 21, but when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's the culture in which we live today in America. We live in the culture today when you can have a degree, and you can have two degrees, and you can be a, uh, you can, you can be a uh, professor at a university, and then be asked the question, what is a woman? And you are a woman yourself. And you can't look back to the person that asked that question and give them a definitive answer. Professing ourselves to be wise, we have become fools. We have changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Notice these next few verses. Wherefore God has given them over to uncleanness through the lust of their own bodies or their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who change the truth of God. Come on now, y'all stay with me now. I'm trying to show you something today. I, I said I wasn't going to get fired up, but I'm about to get fired up on this. The culture is attempting to change the truth of God into a lie. Right in front of our eyes. And they're worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And Paul said to his own writing, Amen. He didn't have anybody to give him an amen. He just said, I'm going to say amen to myself. That's good preaching, Paul. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat." And so 80% of all HIV cases in the United States in the last 20 years have been within the homosexual community. And so men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Stop right there. 
Now, I'm going to show you one other verse of Scripture, and I'm going to tie this all together and to show you how important it is for you to listen to what Pastor Brown's got to say. For the next few minutes of time, you give me your undivided attention. So I'm going to take you to a passage to close this off. It's in 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 16. Correct, Angie? I think it is. Let's put that on the screen for him real quickly. Paul, Peter is writing about Paul. So you, now you know where Peter and Paul, and the, you know, and you say, well, Pete, I had to borrow from Peter to pay Paul. Well, now this is where it's at in the Word of God. So here Peter is affirming Paul. He says, as also in all his, that's Paul's epistle, speaking of them, of those things which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, see the word there, three or five letters, rest, King James English, rest. Another translation probably says twist, right? Twist, manipulate, or pervert the Scriptures. Seven years ago, I brought this to the attention of our church, and oh, how it has come to pass. And I want to show you here today. So based upon the text of Scriptures that I have given you today, can you honestly say, if you were having dialogue with someone, that there's not a single place in all the Word of God that affirms homosexuality as a lifestyle choice for a believer. Can you say there's every passage, and I'm just telling you, I only took a portion of the passages. There were other passages. I can honestly state in front of you that I believe there's not a single passage in all the Word of God that affirms homosexuality as a lifestyle choice. It's always viewed negatively. All right, so with this, though, (laughs) with this, I'm going to give you an excerpt from a website entitled GayChurch.org. Now, I know that's not one that you Google search very often, but GayChurch.org website regarding the passages that we read in Leviticus, okay, and also in Romans. So here is what a professor who is a part of Jeroboam's gospel. Y'all stay with me now. I'm closing on this, but this is the most important part for me to share this with you. Professor Sword is addressing the subject here. And he goes back into the text of Scripture that I took you to in Leviticus, and he arrives in Romans just like I did. And here's what he had to say. So listen to this is what's being shared. This is what's being shared in churches in the United States. And not only churches, but also in educational institutions. He said, Old Testament experts view, this is his words under quote, view the regulations of Leviticus as standards of holiness. That's true. Do you believe that? Directives for the formation of community life aimed at establishing and maintaining a people's identity in relationship to God. I think that's true, what he's saying there. He's simply saying Old Testament regulations. God was choosing himself out of people to be different. How many know nothing's changed? He goes on to say, this is because God was so determined that his people who were being formed into a new nation would not adopt the practices of the Baal worship in Canaan. And same gender sex was a part of Baal worship. So what he's saying is God was choosing his people out. And since the people that worshipped Baal practiced same sex, um, not marriage, but uh, same gender sexuality or sexual practices, God would separate. He would not allow the Israelites to participate in that because he didn't want them to be associated with Baal worship. That's what he's saying. But listen to this next paragraph and watch the subtle slight shift. Catch it. 
Has anybody ever been like on a street corner and there was a magician there and he had a card and, he, and right in front of your eyes, he could just pull, a, he could just twit something, something hidden right there, right in front of your eyes. And you're like, I, I didn't even see that. Listen to this. Here's what he writes further. Even if we consider that morale, one, one paragraph, one paragraph, that morality was a factor in this rule, it is part of the code. He's, the code being the law. And when the code, the law, became obsolete as it is under Christ, that rule as part of the code became obsolete. Now listen, those verses in Leviticus have nothing to say to us today beyond the eternal principle for the need for purity in the worship of God. Now listen, listen. If the immorality expressed in them happens to be in a principle for all time, then it will be found elsewhere in the Bible. Parentheses, ready? For heterosexuals, it is found in Romans 1, which clearly condemns same-gender sex by heterosexuals. There is nothing in the Bible to support any finding about homosexuals. Have you caught what he did? Simply put, I'll break it down in layman's turn as I get ready to close. He said that Romans 1, which is saying they took the knowledge of God and turned it into a lie, and heterosexuals began to act with homosexual activity, it's forbidden in the Word of God. But he says it's not forbidden for a homosexual to have homosexual activity or practice. Are y'all out there today? Tell me we don't live in a generation where Jeroboam's gospel is being preached on a daily basis. And you need to be more learned than ever before so that you can have the discussion that you need to have because you're going to have the, you can't just storm out of the room. I don't want to talk about it. What if it's your grandchild that comes home and says, Mama, Daddy, I'm feeling this because somebody at school said this, and they've got all these things going on inside them first here, and now here, you've got to be able to have a legitimate conversation with that individual, right? And you can't just storm out of the room, and you can't just bury your head in the sand, but you've got to hold to the truth of the Word of God, and you've got to be very careful because people are going to twist it and make you the hateful one for holding to the truth of God's Word. If we're true to the text and the context, the harmony of scriptures, if we refuse to twist it, misconstrue it, and misinterpret it, then we easily conclude that homosexuality, even in the pretense of marriage, is sin. Listen to this. It misses the mark of God's design for procreation. It's against nature. It's destructive to the human body and to the soul. It is eerily associated with idolatry. Those who openly practice and continually gratify their desires through this practice are listed with those who shall not inherit. The kingdom of God. It's a heavy subject. I recognize as I'm closing today the idolatrous sinners that make the decisions for you and I in our legislative body don't recognize the scriptures as their source of conviction. But our responsibility is to lead men to repentance. That they may recover themselves from the snare of the gospel. So last week I said Jeroboam preaches the gospel and I said, others preach the true gospel. I never said that I preach the true gospel. 
I hope and pray that I preach the true gospel. That's what I hope and pray before God. Here's the gospel that I preach. I believe that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe that when Adam sinned in the Adamic nature, everything has been misconstrued. Broken outside and broken inside. I believe affections have been in error. Attractions can be in error. Right? According to the divine purpose of God. And the only way to have victory over it is to be born again by the power of the Spirit of God. Where His Spirit is breathed into your spirit giving you newness of life. And that once you are genuinely born again before God, you have the power inside of you to overcome your carnal appetite. And you can overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The life of God, the spirit of God, the power of God's grace gives you the ability to overcome. Now, I believe that to be true for the former adulterer, the former fornicator, the previously person bound by addictions, drugs, and alcohol. For those that were given to homosexuality, I believe the same thing can be true. I believe today in the power of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. I don't believe in condemning you. I don't believe in throwing a stone at you. And I don't believe if I tell you the truth, I have hurt you and I have hateful rhetoric. I have no hate in my heart. I only truly love you when I tell you the choices that you're making. You are listening to the lies of the enemy when you say that I was born this way. You might be born with a tendency in that direction, but it's because of the old Adamic nature that came as a result of the sin of Adam. But thank God for the blood of Jesus today. And you can overcome by the grace of God. You can be victorious. I believe that today. I believe that you can be a part of what Paul said in the book of Corinthians when he said, and such were some of you. I believe your testimony can be, but I used to be that way, but now I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. Now I'm sanctified by His indwelling Holy Spirit. And now I've got the power inside of me to overcome my carnal appetite. I might have previously had same-sex attraction, but no, even, if I, even if it tries to rise up within me, every day I'm going to take the authority of the Word of God and I'm going to put it to death in Jesus' name so that I can have victory and live a life that's pleasing to Him. And you may say, Pastor Brown, but I'm just simply not attracted to the people of the same sex. Well, I'll tell you what, then you need to live celibate before God and say, God, I'm going to not enter into marriage. If that's the case, then you choose that route, then you stay that way. Jesus was single, and he did all right. And so with that, church family, today, I hope that the gospel that we preach, that I preach and these others here, is the gospel of love. And it's of affirming. It's affirming the truth. We're unashamed of the truth. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. As I close, you say, Pastor, you've said that four times. No, this is the first time I said, as I close right now. I said, I'm getting ready to close. I'm near closing. I will soon <laughs> close. This is my honest confession. Last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, and today are the toughest sermons that I can ever preach in my life. The last thing I would do from this pulpit is attempt to harm somebody mentally or emotionally. Or remind them two weeks ago talking about the delicate subject of abortion. What if there was somebody 
And typically there is among us that has previously experienced that. And I'm not trying to bring up the pain of that moment for them. I'm trying to prepare our church for the times in which we live. For these decisions, these subjects, these two subjects. Jesus said there were two things under the law that everything hinged on. Right? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oddly enough, in America, these two subjects are going to move you one side or the other. It really is. And you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. you got to embrace it. But you got to know what the Scripture says because people will twist it. Did I show it to you today as clearly as I could? They will twist it. They will take the Word and they will twist it in order to accommodate a, what I believe is a demonic agenda. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He doesn't care whether you're old or young. He doesn't care whether you're a four-year-old still trying to process the early thoughts of just being able to be semi-rational or whether you're 84 years old. He doesn't care. The adversary is destructive in his lies. He's a liar from the beginning. Jesus said he was a murderer. And our job is to expose his lies by the way of the truth. So I want to ask you, would you pray with me before we have water baptism here today? I want to get our heads bowed, be bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time. And you can just be... Honest, and, and I'm not asking you to be sympathetic towards me. I'm not asking you. I, I, I signed up for this. When he called me when I was 16 years of age, I signed up. And I said, God, I'll speak even on the difficult subjects. Even when it's not always pleasant to do so. And so I'm not asking you to be sympathetic towards my plight or my cause or my calling. I'm simply asking you today to challenge your own heart. To be to be aware of what the scripture says and to be aware of what the culture says because they are disagreeing one with the other. And it's your responsibility to shine the light of truth, not just mine. I'm not going to have that conversation with your loved one uh, uh, around a dinner table when this subject matter gets brought up. You will. I'm not the one that's going to answer that phone call when uh, a cousin or a niece calls you up and says, Uncle so-and-so or Aunt so-and-so, can I talk to you? It's a very tough subject. I I'm, not, I'm struggling to talk to my mom and dad about it, so I, I've chosen you. But, but what I can do is I can point you in directions to hopefully prepare you. Walk in love. Come on, somebody. Live in the love of God. Consider each person, each person as, as, as uh, the, the, the offspring of God. And the enemy is, is seeking to mar the image of God in that person. And you're their defender. You're standing between them and the lies of the adversary. And you can't run away from the subject. Very quickly today, there might be somebody under the sound of my voice today that you've heard this very, very difficult subject here today. And it's very real to you because maybe there are some things that have gone on inside of you in regards to this subject. And even, I want to encourage you today. Talk to, talk to a spiritual leader. Talk to somebody. It, it's, it, it's so private between you. To, I, I, you don't even have to raise your hand today. I'll pray with you today. I just want you to know if, if that's been you, make a decision. You're going to follow God in every part of his word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and put your heart into the word of God. Put the word of God into your heart and make a decision to live for the Lord with every part of your being. Every part, not just some, every part. And confide and turn to people that you know will love you and will teach you the truth. 
teach you the truth. Father, I don't know if that person, there might even be somebody here today, could be a young adult among us today. I don't know, but I pray for them. Church family, would you pray for them today? I pray for them today. God, I don't even know how to give the type of altar to that. I just, I, I, Father, I can't. I, I, it's such a delicate subject. I, I keep it in, in a measure of just communion with you. And I pray over that person, Father, in the name of Jesus. Shield them from the lies of the enemy. Shield them from the lies. I pray that even what I've said today might help them. Help them turn to Christ. And such were some of you. Help that person. If there is, I don't know that there is, but if there is. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that they will turn to Christ with all their heart and you will come in by the power of the Holy Spirit and they will learn to walk in newness of life and live a life that's pleasing to you in every area, God, including their sexuality. Father, I pray over my church today, my church family, who I love greatly and am deeply respectful for who they are. And, and Father God, and, and their concern for their family and for this community and for this nation and, they, and their light, I pray that they have the right spirit, that they truly have the right spirit, that when this subject matter comes up and they talk about it in, with, with friends or family or coworkers, that God, that they've got, the, they, they've got the right spirit, but they've got the anointing. Let them never be afraid of the truth of the word of God. Come on now, who will pray that with me right there? Let our church family never be afraid of the truth of the Word of God. God, and may, may what I've shared today just be the, the surface. All I've did is scratch the surface, God. Help them to become students. Help them to get even deeper in the Word, to get this Word in their heart, to really know what they believe and why they believe it. I pray that today, Father, in this room, in Jesus' mighty name. Help us, God, today. Help us as a community of faith, a faith community, to be a bright and a shining light in a dark and in a difficult time. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and amen. Now you.